Hi everybody, it's Jean Nathan. This is Crosstown Conversations with news about New Orleans that counts about our economy, our environment, our culture, and some occasional politics. Thank you for joining and enjoy the show. Hi, everybody. It's Crosstown Conversations. This is Jean Nathan, and I keep bringing you all these like really big thinking, terrific people. And I've got another one on tap for today. Blake Berticelli, as I can't even describe what he does because he has he's so multi talented and he has this kind of philosophy bent, a tech bent, a creative bent. Is that is that fair enough? Would yeah. I cover? Yes, <laughs> it is. Um, so we're going to talk to him today about a conference that was just in town that uh, was a it was a big deal and uh, I didn't see a lot of coverage of it but uh, it was worth uh, much more attention than it got so let's let's talk about it a, a little bit it's about AI and my initial reaction to AI was oh god not another permutation in the tech world that I have to deal with. And, uh, and, and uh, it reminds me to say all the time that I'm so glad I lived mostly in the analog era. Um, you know, the, the younger people than me are gonna have to live with this digital thing for the rest of their lives. Um, I've got a few more years to go, but not nearly as much as some of them. But that's not fair, but AI fascinates me because it really can make our work um, more creative, uh, more, uh, let's say, um, uh, flexible in achieving uh, different kinds of goals uh, than I I want in. So basically, I want in. I just need to understand, you know, how to do that. And um, I want to know what this conference, um, what emerged from that conference. What 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 did you learn? I know you've been focused on this for some time. So um, it'd be very interesting to hear what what came out of it for you. Yeah, so there was over uh, 13,000 people uh, in New Orleans uh, attending this conference. And so this conference, it's called NeurIPS. It used to be called NIPS, but they've changed the name um, for obvious reasons. Um, and the conference basically is the scientific aspect of artificial intelligence. And I say this as scientific aspect, but really so much of what AI is, is it comes from uh, computer science. Um, so the way that uh, a AI bot crunches data is it kind of looks at what you're giving it, and then it gives its best expectation of what how it should respond. So for instance, if I'm uh, writing the letter A, the bot might look at all the possible words that an A could be associated with, and then it can use some of the data that it has based off of what I'm interested in. So say I really like apples and I write, I write about apples a lot. It might use that data to suggest that the rest of the word is gonna be apple. Um, and, and so the probabilities that 
these bots are working with are all based in computer science. And so this conference had basically 13,000 people who were oh. really geeky and really interested in how to develop probabilities that suggest possible solutions. And this is really exciting because you can use computers to crunch lots and lots of data and come up with probabilities to all sorts of weird uh, questions. So you can use it to create language. You could use it to analyze images. You could use it to crunch uh, like medical data. There's a lot of folks talking about medical data there and figure out new ways to interpret it. Um, so it's you know basically a conference with a lot of scientists who are really interested in probabilities and how to and how to uh, assess them. So uh, what kinds of scientists? So it's all computer scientists. I mean, it's majority of it is computer. When you science. say computer scientists, that that really doesn't tell me a lot, to be honest. What does that mean? <laughs> well, so computer science is a discipline that brings in math. Um, it brings in some kind of practical physics as well. So there are physicists as well. But really what computer science is doing is it's developing machines to help crunch problems, and to help crunch data. Um, I like to think of it as a um, as a discipline that's focused on calculators and making calculators more advanced. Um, and so like a mathematician might be a, also a computer scientist or mathematicians might focus on computer scientists because ca calculators are really helpful. Um, other folks like physicists are also computer scientists because it helps with their work. Um, but computer science is really just focused on like building better calculators. <laughs> uh okay in a in a broad sense yeah in a bar broad sense i mean in a, in a broad and specific sense so some of the more like interesting things that i saw come out of this conference and and before i get into like what i saw i just have to underline this is one of the most um important conferences in ai in machine learning this conference came out of um uh scientists who are looking at the brain and trying to replicate how the brain thinks and reasons in reality and at this conference every important company that you could possibly think of google amazon netflix uh meta um all elon musk's companies people from there were were in attendance and 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 not just like you know any schlocky these are the folks making decisions at these giant companies so it's it's super exciting to have key decision makers all gathered in new orleans in one space, really excited to talk to other people, which you don't normally find. It, it seems almost unlikely that people of that ilk would choose New Orleans as the place to communicate these high-level um, uh, concerns, problems, and ideas. Uh, how, how did that happen? And how? What, what did you get as a feeling of how people responded to New Orleans? I'm just curious because... Well, so I had, I, 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 yeah, I had a lunch every day um, and I invited folks and I was attended by about 50 people a day, uh, if not more sometimes. And, and the, the event was about a week or so. Um, and I've heard lots of different reasons for why they chose New Orleans. And, and you know, some are the obvious. We like music. We like, you know, good times. But, um, you know, really, this is a chance for scientists and people who work at high level and high level positions to meet other people and come together with other people. And I think New Orleans has those facilities to do it. Now, I, I don't think that 
next year it's going back to Vancouver to Canada where it was. So, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, a, it was interesting to be in new Orleans. I, I thought it was a great opportunity for new Orleans to show that we can be more than just, um, uh, booze and Mardi Gras. Um, and it was necessary that we show that, um, because many of these people are very serious thinkers and that mean, and they're not serious drinkers. Um, so for instance, uh, the lunches that I had attracted a lot of people, but they were vegan lunches, very much focused on um, on health. And the topics of every lunch was rationalism and um, effective altruism, which is kind of a, a hot topic right now. And so there were heavy philosophical topics, but it was a great opportunity to to show off New Orleans as like not just a place you can drink and have a good time, but also a place that's conducive to um, experimentation and improvisation with ideas. Um, and I was really trying to push the idea that, hey, we created jazz here. Um, we've built all these amazing improvisational arts. Um, why can't we use New Orleans as a real creative hub for improvisational thinking? Um, and that that did reach people. People were saw that as that a reason. It did, it did reach people? It did, it did. It didn't reach people in uh in in the New Orleans business community. I, I will say I was very disappointed by the 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 lack of um support from from folks in like economic development around uh around this project. But it what did people in, in economic development. Um <laughs> I mean uh, I I hope not too many of the so-called economic development leaders are hearing me say this, but Truthfully, I don't think we have a active, um, serious thinking, planning, economic development community right now. Do you? No. Okay. I, just um, <laughs> I think that we have an active economic development community that's looking in lots of different spheres outside of, I mean, there might, there, I know there's a lot of work being done with energy. Um, and building, you know, energy hubs and things like that. Um, my business, so what I work on uh, my day-to-day -day job is building software. And I specifically build software that helps people with disabilities use the internet. Um, and it's a huge economic potential um, because the US Congress is going to pass pretty soon a law that says, just like you have to have a wheelchair ramp to get into any building, you have to make sure your website is going to work for people with disabilities. So people who are blind and need screen readers, um, it's a it's a huge economic opportunity. Um, and you know, I would like yeah, to please. include in that category of disabilities, like something less obvious than the people who need wheelchairs and more people who have either a resistance to or a lack of understanding for how to use computers. And so you're talking about people who um, might be very smart and might have at a time bef before the dominance of digital uh, been important leaders in economic activity of one kind or another. And, and they are now not able to really utilize their uh, talents and capacities uh, to the fullest because um, they literally just don't know how to do the simplest functions on computers. 
Well, the work that I do, yeah, the work that I do, um, it definitely benefits, you know, anyone, um, especially those who aren't predisposed to be technolo technological. Um, and, you know, I like to think of the work I do like building a wheelchair ramp where you do have a wheelchair ramp or, or a curb cut is a better example. You have, a, you have a curb cut and not only people in wheelchairs use a curb cut. There are delivery men, people with strollers, people who drag their feet like me. I'm constantly tripping over curbs, so curb cuts are great. But the the work that I do with the internet that is specifically focused on people with uh, various types of disabilities, not just blindness, motor functional disabilities, um, it actually benefits everybody because it does make information easier to access and easier to use and um, not just available for the techno literate. Um, it, it simplifies navigation, for instance. It simplifies contents on a page. And I think that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, to solve every problem. But if you focus on some of the problems that are affecting people with disabilities, you're actually solving problems for a lot larger of a subset of now, people. You, you mentioned something uh, it, just in passing in that sentence that um, strikes home for me because I've noticed that when I look at a, a screen on the computer uh, and I have somebody else who is what I call an alphabet, you know, younger people in the younger generations, and we look at the same screen and they see things on that screen that I don't see. And that's a big issue is, is, the, is facilitating people who have something to offer creatively, but who are not from the alphabet generations uh, and making it possible for us to uh, offer what we've learned and 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 know and and want to express and communicate better than we do. So yeah, that's as important as wheelchairs. I'm 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 really uh, I'm really optimistic that the work that's being done in AI will help bridge the gap in accessibility for all sorts of folks. And, you know, there's uh, a lot of work being done in conversational AI. So stuff that you can have a conversation with. So instead of having to deal with a user interface, instead of having to deal with the actual technology that you're just having a conversation um, with, with someone very knowledgeable. <laughs> um, and I do think that we're getting closer and closer and closer as it goes. The, I, I, I started a conference this year called New Orleans AI, No AI, and uh, we do it on 11.11. And, and uh, depending on the support from the um, folks in, in the economic development uh, community, uh, we'll, we might do it again. But basically with this conference, I, there was, I would say there was about 70% of the people who attended it um, wouldn't call themselves, you know, techno literate. They, and I would say about... 30% of the people weren't part of the alphabet, you know, uh, generations like you called them. Um, but there's still a high level of interest. Um, and some of the technology that I've seen come out of it is a lot of work of like not even dealing with screens. So a big trend now is to figure out how to make a user interface that isn't a screen. So how do you have a device that you're talking to and it's giving you what you want, doing the things you want. I think we're, we are still pretty far away from this work. I mean, my life every day as someone who codes um, uh, software 
is dramatically impacted by this AI stuff every single day. I, for instance, we decided to um, to use AI instead of hiring somebody for a very specific task, and it worked very well. Um, now, I don't think that we're going to see tomorrow or even right now a reality where it's going to greatly impact folks around us. But that said, there are are people that I know who don't aren't technolo technological and are their life is being dramatically improved through these AI changes. For instance, um, a guy that I work with. AI solution to dogs barking at uh, someone in the front hall. Okay. Of course. I mean, it would just, it, you can, you can, it's very easy to have an AI that could bark commands at a dog and maybe even, <laughs> maybe, I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that if you gave enough bark, barking data to an AI, it would be able to bark at the dog in a way that the dog would understand. I love that. Uh, now you got me. Now you got me. <laughs> um, and, okay, and, back and, to my life, your life energy, you're working with, um, uh, AI to uh, facilitate, again, uh, the communications, it sounds like, between uh, people and information that they need that it's hard for them to access because they don't know how to do uh, things on the screens. Is that fair? That's fair. Yeah, it's fair. I think that the work that I'm, I'm doing, because I, I don't care if it's with AI or not with AI, and I think a lot of the work I'm doing can be done without a AI, and, and AI is largely a large category that many things belong to but i would say that you know my work is to make information and tools accessible and i don't care how it's done um i would say about 20 percent of our um, company budget is being put towards ai projects and that will only increase in my estimation um but there are still, you know, tangible things that we can do without AI just to make the world better. I mean, a, a quick statistic, 96% of the internet fails tests to see if it's accessible for folks with all sorts of disabilities, including low vision. So if you're like, you know, the majority of people that I know have their screen size on their phone uh, increased quite a bit. And when the, when you have that screen size increased, words are um, broken up like crazy, and it's a mess. Exactly, and and that's you know if if you were uh, a higher ed organization or an organization that that is a uh, government organization, there are, there are legal mandates around how you can display information and and how it should work for folks. Um, and if over 96% of the internet isn't working in that way, it's a, it's a gigantic problem. The reason I'm working on this is because I'm trying to do the greatest good for humanity. And this is a low hanging fruit for me. I think by fixing 96% of the internet is a, is a pretty, uh, would be a, a great thing. And it's, it's actually not that hard. It's, it's more of a, the, the more, the bigger difficulty where it lies in the politics behind it. And yeah, and, and focusing on it and working through the solutions. Um, and, you know, too often, I think right now, politically, sociologically, uh, not just in our region, in this country, but on the entire globe, there is a tendency to be wanting to resolve things on a warlike basis and um, competitive basis and uh, authoritarian basis rather than 
looking to what is the best way to foster solutions. And so I always tell people who work with me who say, I can't do that because I say, well, let's figure out what the solution is. We need to be so much more solution oriented and, and politically in terms of dealing with um, economic uh, development issues and um, education issues and crime issues. I hate, hate, hate people being called, oh, that's a, that's a guy who cares about dealing with crime and then all it's about is prisons and, um, and uh, policing and uh, um, uh, literally identification of criminals and, and making sure they get punished when the, the heart of the issue is do, do those people have hope, opportunities, some idea of what they can do with their careers? Do they have the educational tools to get there? That's all that counts. And we don't talk about that. We just have people like Landry if they're saying, you know, that they are the crime-oriented candidate. So it, it, where is the interface between the internet and AI and exactly what I was just describing, this propensity sociologically and politically to deal with the wrong aspect of a, of a problem rather than a solution and just dealing with kind of basically very old, uh, out of date concepts of how to deal with problems. Well, the, the, the most interesting giant problem that I've seen spoken about, I don't know if it's necessarily the big problem around AI, is the idea that AI will be so smart and so in control of all of our systems that it could take over the world. And that, and a lot of work um, goes into what's called AI alignment. And what that is, is uh, work to align these type of AI models to our human interests. So we so there there's a, a pretty good probability that if an AI crunched all the data and it was most interested in making itself survive, it would do all it could to uh, kill humanity. Um, I was on a panel with Walter Isaacson at this conference, and he mentioned uh, Elon Musk's doom index. Um, and Elon Musk has this thing called P doom. And uh, according to to Walter, uh, Elon Musk's P doom is over fifty percent. That AI has over fifty percent a chance to to kill us all. Now, to take it back to what you were talking about, as far as like all these scare tactics and all these kind of things, what what are they doing? Um, like I I definitely see these uh, these scare tactics around AI as used to bring more attention to AI. And I'm torn about that because on one end, I don't think um, we would be, you and I would be talking or anybody else would be talking around about this exciting new technology if there wasn't some kind of fear factor to it. And on, you know, and I, and I think that it's really worthwhile to be talking about this technology. I think this technology can, I brought, I've brought, AI bots into schools, into high schools. I went to the Living School, uh, which is a school in New Orleans East, and taught them how to use some of the tools and some of the ideas of bias around these tools. And I do think like some of these tools are the new calculator. And if we want to bring our students into a, a new age of learning and to give them all the opportunities that um, that that 
that that folks with with upper crest affluence have, we have to expose them to these tools. Um, so so I do think that however we can get people to use, whether it's scare tactics or not, um, we need to get people to use these tools and we need to specifically get people who wouldn't normally have access to use these tools to use them uh, now because they so, are going to be around for a while. Yeah, so, so I have to um, tell you, I don't feel comfortable with that. Uh, and, and here's why. That is exactly how Trump got elected president, right? So there was so much coverage of him by the media yeah. uh, uh, in, in all categories, not so sure, really negative and fearful and 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 positive in the sense that oh man he's really kicking behind he's gonna he's gonna you know he's gonna make it so and that and that against we're going through round two on that and um to me the danger of that is that it's constantly endorsing the fear factor and the instinct to obliterate the opposition and rather than understand you know as i say to try to figure out what the not what the middle ground is but what are the what is the way to navigate how people are thinking and and dealing with things as opposed to what again would be a more constructive i think constructive is really the word that i think is critical can we be a little bit more constructive about how to progress rather than and having to be um, scared into doing something. Yeah, I don't buy this uh, fear as a, as a um, leverage for uh, advancing uh, understanding and caring. I, I, think I, I think I should be clear that I, it's not, uh, I'm not saying that that's what we you're should referred. be doing. I realize you're not, it's not preferred. I'm saying that that's what's happening. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm trying to find the silver lining in some of this work and <laughs> some of these, these uh what's happening around ai in a larger sense um i do think that like yes of course we want to talk about the potential and and the solutions that these can solve and 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 talk about the hope not the fear of these tools um it's it's not what's motivating conversation around ai in a, in a way that i've been seeing I hope so it then, does. So let me just stop you. I'm sorry. Uh, if, pardon me for, I'm, I'm a little too engaged in this issue. So I'm not being just the reporter here, but um, really digging into my concern about it. So if 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 fear, as opposed to um, uh, a, a more positive uh, searching for solutions and a constructive uh, strategies, is the motivating factor you just you just are constantly going to endorse that way of thinking and reacting rather than you know figuring out i keep saying to myself what is it we have to communicate to people who are endorsing authoritarianism and um uh trump's uh um criminal approach to government, what do we have to do to break through their 20 years of messaging that has completely reversed who people support to, and they are supporting people who basically are motivated by, you know, the top 1% opportunities and needs. Trump is out there to help those guys, not the guys that, 
He says he's going to hell. I mean, it's a fraud. It's a lie. It's corrupt. How do you communicate that? To me, if AI could break through to how to communicate with folks to uh, break through some erroneous assumptions that have been built up by very effective emotional communications that are a total scam. We talk about scams a lot on the internet. You know, I have to deal with uh, messages that I get every day now that say, hey, you better hurry up your uh, deadline to uh, take care of the servicing of your car. Call us at this number. And it's a scam. It's just a sales uh, thing. I didn't get my car uh, you know, uh, uh, up to speed on its, uh, what do you call that? Um, servicing uh, um, uh, contract, uh, but there it's all fake. I have to deal with that on the one hand. And then on the other, um, I have to understand, you know, how do I uh, make a more simple, uh, how do I understand better and more easily um, all the per permutations of practicalities of life that, uh, you know, are, are getting more and more complicated. I can, I can. So I just ask chat GPT, how would you communicate with folks who are prone to believe in scams? And I, I'm going to have to run to another meeting, but I'll leave you with this. It just said, it gave me a long list, but then I asked it to, to give me one sentence from that long list. And it said, effective communication with those susceptible to scams involves empathy, patience, and providing them with resources to develop critical thinking skills. Um, and that's what I hope AI does and people engaging with AI, that they can evolve those critical thinking skills. Hold on one second. All right. I'm going to let you go. I have no choice. You have something else you've got to do, but you know what? I think, um, Blake, if you don't mind, I'd like to have, um, these conversations a little bit more frequently. And I want to, I want you to leave me with just one last, uh, answer to a question that I started our discussion with, and we got off into, um, this other issue, which is very important to me, you know, how do we communicate with people who are, have this kind of wrongheaded idea, uh, I, what I consider to be a wrongheaded, um, uh, way of thinking about how to, to deal with the world. What at the conference was, were the top three ideas that you heard that changed your thinking about anything top uh top idea was definitely i'll go from the top to the the third uh most impactful top idea was um ways to predict flooding with existing data i think that ai is really good at looking at existing data and figuring out uh, predictions from that data so there's a lot of people doing work around weather and I think that weather-related um, prediction analysis could inform how we build our city in a more resilient way. Um, so that is definitely the most important top idea. Um, and then beyond that, I think I can kind of group the two and three into um, into really like the idea that that uh, of of understanding how we create language and 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 speak um, is a a cool thing and it's an amazing thing to walk into a room where you have a thousand folks presenting their ideas of how language works um and from that you look at the different nuances that goes into language and communication from tone from the background data that you have to crunch uh information or to create information from and 
I have to say, like, it is amazing to have a conference like this because beyond just building new fun tools, you're understanding better how human communication works and how we work um, uh, with others. Um, okay. So that's a very, very exciting thing. All right. Well, let, let me say this. Two things. First of all, next time there's a conference like this coming to town or that is being generated by people here, because I have to believe with, I don't know how many universities we have, something like 10, that there aren't people in our uh, milieu who are here who have something to offer, if, if not some of the, the you know, highest uh, level folks that were at this conference. Um, you need to let me know these things are coming ahead of time. So at the very least, I have a peculiar audience. I have 15,000 people who, um, who get my newsletters and a lot of people that I run into now more and more where I go places and say, oh, I read your stuff all the time. So there are people who are reading my newsletter as, you know, it's not exactly a deep thinking approach, but I make an attempt. And um, I would like to do a better job of letting people know that a conference like that is in town. I had no idea. I mean, I saw some email about it for a minute and an email for a minute just doesn't, doesn't make it, as you know, it's, it's just not enough. So mm -hmm. um, if you can, uh, you know, keep at least me abreast. And then when I put stuff out, I've noticed lately more and more the mainstream media is picking up on stuff that I'm, I'm putting out there. And so it, it helps just to get the word out. Well, I'll give you a good date. November 11th, 11-11. If uh, by the by the great gods of the economic development uh, community in New Orleans, we will have a, another No AI, New Orleans AI conference. And at that conference, we have speakers from LSU, uh, from Tulane, from all the major colleges around Google, DeepMind, Adobe. And it'll only grow. Um, that is, if folks in our economic development community saw the value, which is a very real value um, in, in this kind of work. Thank you very much for your time, Blake. I know that you're running uh, all the time as we all are, but um, I look forward to the next conversation. All right, see you. Thank you so much. You. Bye. So folks, with that um, a very erudite and challenging uh, discussion about um, the opportunities and implications of AI and um, what folks in New Orleans are doing to uh, support that here, um, let's go now to our cultural economy and talk with Lisa Alexis, who's head of the Mayor's Office of uh, Cultural Economy, and get a little bit of an update on what's been going on in that arena, which is really, I think, exploding. Lisa, Alexis, have you been in office now for two years? Three? Actually, actually, in January, it will be five years. What? 
Oh my God. Well, and there is uh, proof of your presence because there's so much going on in the city's uh, cultural economy and uh, your office has been a big part of it. So um, we're doing some kind of close out the year and start the new one and sort of find out what's been going on. And uh, I mean, I'm just uh, really floored by how much is happening in our cultural economy. And um, I credit the artists themselves, of course, the organizations, uh, but your office has been a friend um, uh, to all of our interests in the city as a jet flies over my head. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I, I just want to kind of take a minute and, um, and, and get a little bit of a summary of, of how you feel about this past year in particular. Um, and and um, a little bit of your vision uh, for what's coming up. So Lisa Alexis is the executive director of the Mayor's Office of Cultural Economy and has been for five years. My goodness. Okay. <laughs> yes. So um, tell me what's going on. I will say I will start with, I'll take it in chronological order. So I will say I'm feeling uh, very positive about 2023. Uh, in here we are in 2023, and I've served in this position for five years. Uh, two to three years has been COVID somewhat. However, that hasn't been an excuse for the creative community at all. It was an opportunity for us to rise. And in this year of 2023, what I've seen is the support of the Office of Cultural Economy with our Embrace the Culture initiatives that has supported our cultural sectors. With the support of the New Orleans Tourism and Cultural Fund that I have the pleasure of leading grants and sponsorships and partnerships. And with the City Council, creation of the Culture and Recreation Fund. In this time frame, Jean, we have supported in upwards of almost twenty million dollars oh. directly into the cultural. No yeah, oh, over fifteen hundred grants, and it is simply incredible. And not just investing in, but we have seen a return on those investments through the work of our cultural organizations, through the backs and just the creative minds of our cultural artists. So I am so humbled and honored to serve in this position and see the creativity grow beyond our local. Well, it's always been global, but I am so happy in 2023, what I've seen is the city of New Orleans businesses, organizations, public and private, investing now in our local cultural economy. Yep, and um, I think that a message that I know you and I both have been committed to of, of understanding the scope, breadth, and potential of, uh, of, of the economic impact of the arts is really spreading, isn't it? Finally, it really is. It is. And what we're doing a long step in partnership. And let me just say all of this is in partnership and with an open uh, an open working relationship with so many organizations is the fact that 
there are now studies to speak to our economic impact on Mardi Gras, economic impact, French Quarter Festival, Jazz Festival, Essence Festival, Fried Chicken Festival, Bayou Classic. There are economic impact and studies being done, large and small, to speak to how that impacts not only our local economy and the bottom line that goes to the city and state, but also how it returns back to the cultural artists and the cultural industries as well. So it's really great. And the economic impact we have of the studies for just this year is $1.9 billion on the big ones that I've just mentioned to you. And, and that includes uh, basically what? It includes Mardi Gras. It includes Jazz Festival, Essence Festival, Bayou Classic, and I believe French Quarter Festival. Just those. Wow, that's just that's just really amazing. Uh, it's not amazing. I mean, we, we we knew it in a way, but you know, the other thing that I that I feel right now, and maybe this is just my own prejudice, but I feel that we we actually are seeing and understanding the impact of the of the cultural economy almost more than any other sector in the city. I mean, I'm not belittling activity and energy and, 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 uh, uh, and any kind of biological programming. Health, of course, is huge. Education yes. is huge. Not to belittle any of those. But in a sense, I think that the, the real dynamic energy and awareness um, with, with what's going on in the cultural economy is heightened. Whereas those are, maybe it's just because we, we've always considered them to be important and, and it's um, nothing new. It, it's new for us to be considering how important the cultural economy is. But what are some of the particular events or projects or moments uh, in, in your memory that stand out to you as, as a moments when you said to yourself, yeah, it's happening? Yes reaching out and working with our cultural organizations and doing more and more partnerships where those dollars are leveraged. And that has happened with so many organizations. I'm gonna get in trouble if I start doing a roll call and don't catch everyone, but we have had the pleasure of our cultural organizations really stepping up to the call when asked. And let me just say Arts Council, our Arts New Orleans, uh, Jazz and Heritage Foundation, the Ogden, I'm going to get in trouble, Jazz Museum, uh, but then our international partners. We have had countries come to our city this year from France, from Ascona, from Ghana, from Taiwan, from Zhengzhou. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm just really scratching the surface from Merida. And we have done real cultural exchanges where we have artists that have now gone to those countries and have been headliners for their first ever jazz festival, their first ever, ever cultural exchange headlining our 
local New Orleans artists. So I felt really wonderful about that and seeing how they want to come and be a part. But then also locally, we have invested in our youth as well. So from the NOTCF side, we have invested over 375000 into youth. Well, we've invested over $1 million into youth programming just this year of 2023, and 375000 of that million have gone to schools that are public and Catholic schools. So that's been wonderful. And to see the programming that has supported additional uh, exposure and uh, education to our culture and to the youth that are our future has been wonderful to see that. So that has really uh, warmed my heart to visit the schools and to and just to see the programming and to see the talent that we have. You know, a lot of our youth have been an understudy to our artists forever, for years. So their talent is unbelievable at, at a very young elementary age. It's wonderful. I think that that's really important. And a, a lot of people don't realize, but every once in a while, you'll see a statistic come from, I don't know, an organization like Kids Smart that works with kids. Mm -hmm. yes. um, and, and, and they will remind us of, of the impact of working in the arts on the thinking, the performing, the uh, experience, the, the knowledge, the, the, the willingness to really develop a career um, yes. as a result of literally making art in, in all its different disciplines. And I think this is something that people, again, are beginning to understand better, but it, it's, it's really, it, it takes time for, the, for that message to get across. And I do think yes. it's getting across, but... Um, it's so important, just even for people who are not going to be involved in the creative arts for their lifetime, they experience a, a empowerment and engagement and they make art. I know myself, I'm not, you know, I, I don't feel myself as an artist, I'm an art supporter, but um, when I do my art making, it totally takes you out of everything else in your life. It really it focuses you in on that activity. And when you finish whatever that product is that you're working on, um, it's just such a sense of satisfaction. And I have to believe that that really buoys people's confidence in themselves. Yes, it does. And it builds a trust with one another, a trust in, and it shows the appreciation and the value that we realize at this point in time, and December 20th of 2023, at this moment, culture is our economy. And so we must invest in to continue to grow. And I see it working and I see it growing. We live in a city where culture is vibrant and culture is our economy. At this point in time, December 20th of 2023, culture is our economy. And we must invest in what is driving the economy. And we are. And others see that internally as well as externally. So it is so exciting for me because there are artists and uh, cultural organizations or cultural practitioners that were at point A in 2019 or in 2020 and then coming out of 
the pandemic, they are now at point X and, and Y and Z. I mean, they've gone from sous chef to the chef. They've gone from um, visual doodler to an exhibition in places that they never thought they'd be, such as the Contemporary Art Center, such as the New Orleans Museum Art. It is just amazing. I believe we have really uh, removed uh, everyone out of their individualized bubbles and have leveraged and have become a hybrid of the appreciation of all of the arts in any type of music, visual, culinary, and the like. And it is wonderful. And now we're enjoying realizing that it has value. That is my thing, realizing it has value. And, and it's so uh, weird the way sometimes, and I, I say this a lot, uh, that a disaster somehow sparks a kind of commitment to revival yep. of um, key activity, especially in the creative fields. And um, I, I, I totally agree with you that I, I've watched people go from trucks on the street to yep. brick and mortar um, restaurants. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen artists uh, go from, you know, um, learning how to make a film to literally making a film, producing it and, and winning awards for it. Yes, I mean, yes. it, it's just amazing. So, okay. So where does this take us? So how do you see 24 developing? What What's your uh, vision? Or, or let me just uh, narrow the focus so that I, I really give you a chance to say what your office is doing. What, what, what's going to happen in 24 coming from the Mayor's Office of Cultural Economy? The direct focus on ensuring that we build and, and sow the seeds of infrastructure, systemic support for cultural business to thrive. So our focus is really going to work on ensuring that cultural artists have established businesses, established marketing to market themselves, to monetize their work, not only regionally, but globally. And to understand what that value is so that there is always uh, an earned comfortable living that comes with that. So really focusing on the name of our office, which is cultural economy and ensuring that we have a strong economy for our culture. I think that that is um, something that uh, our city feels is developing more so than ever. I, I, I do think that there is a, a recognition you. of it. And I think that's important too, because it's one thing to be uh, doing it and doing the best job you can. It's another uh, for people to recognize it. And I do think the recognition it's expressed by the city council's commitment. I mean, yes. I really didn't understand the depth of that uh, commitment until I went, I actually went to the award, uh, uh -huh. the ceremony and, um, and then I, I got the list of, of, of all the, the uh, organizations that got donations and, and saw the total number, which was huge. I mean, yes, I, that's yes. me. I don't it's know any yes. other time that there was a, that significant a commitment made. So I really, again, um, think that all credit to the city council, 
but I think that your office has really helped spur it. So um, thank uh, you. Congratulations and congratulations. <laughs> thank you. And thank you to the, to everyone, really everyone, because you yourself, Jean, you were the one at the front door when I came into this position and you said, let's meet, let's talk. Let me introduce you. Let's work through visions, ideas. And you have been there by my side the entire time. And I am well, so appreciative. So I'm it takes not going to stop. More to come. <laughs> Hopefully, uh, yes, we're finally right. finished with the, the contents of our strategic plan. It took forever during the uh, pandemic while everybody was gearing up and, and your office doing things. And, and we did our share. We did a little, you know, the yes, videos that we uh, enabled uh, artists to do with support from your office. So I think the collaborative part of your message is exactly, again, what I think is so uh, a ch different and important in, in how we're proceeding with the city. Lisa, I hope we have a great 24 yes. and um, stay safe through the end of the holidays and the beginning of the, the year. It's always kind of a crazy time. I kind of want to always get out in the woods somewhere and away from <laughs> I'm I'm not big on the noise of firecrackers, I have to be honest. Um, uh -huh. So, um, and, and, and my two dogs, uh, um, one oh, of them yeah. is, okay, the, the other one, this is going to be my first holiday with him. He's, a, he's a, an Australian shepherd. We'll see how he does, but I don't know. We may wind up in the woods <laughs> somewhere. Yes, but we always want to be peaceful. But thank you, Jean, for the opportunity to share. Oh, thank you for all that you're doing and for a little bit of time with us um, on the show. And um, send me your picture and your three uh, sentence bio. I, I always forget to okay. tell you. Okay. Okay, certainly will. Thank all you right. so much. I appreciate the time. All right. Good luck in 24 and thank you for Have a prosperous 2024. Yes. Thank you. And Thank continue you. to embrace the culture. <laughs> Ditto. Thank you. Thank you. Barefoot and quiet in prayer fills the air. Mississippi folks gathering there. Cause it's Christmas time and new.
leading the band to a good old Creole beat. Golly, what a spirit. You can only hear it down on Trimby Street. Your cast will disappear. 